Section 30 of Claimants to Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in January 2012. Claimants to Royalty by John H. Ingram. The False Hereditary Prince of Baden. Kaspar Hauser. Anno Domini, eighteen twenty eight to thirty three. No more innocent claimant to royalty, no more undeserved a victim than was Caspar Hauser, is told of in history. His birth, his death, and his real parentage are all enveloped in a mystery no amount of research has, as yet, been able to pierce. The world first heard of him on Whit Monday, the 26th of May, 1828. On the afternoon of that day, a citizen of Nuremberg was interested in the appearance of a youth in a peasant's dress, who seemed endeavouring to walk into the town, but with unsteady gait and tottering step. When approached and accosted, he replied in the Bavarian idiom, I want to be a trooper as my father was and held out a letter addressed to the captain of the fourth squadron of the sixth regiment of bavarian light horse as this officer was quartered near the citizen's own house he assisted the crippled lad to the place indicated the captain was from home and as the bearer of the letter to him appeared to be little better than an idiot and incapable of giving other account of himself than that he wanted to be a trooper as his father had been he was conducted to the stable and given some straw, upon which he laid himself down and fell asleep. When the captain came home, the lad was sought for, but it required no little exertion to awaken him. He could not give any account of himself, and recourse was had to the letter for an explanation. It was written in German, in an unknown hand, and expressed the wish that the youth should be admitted into the captain's troop of light horse. A memorandum in Latin was enclosed, and was stated by the writer of the letter to have been received by him on the 7th of October, 1812, when the present bearer, then a baby, had been left at his house. It proceeded to declare that the writer was a poor labourer, and the father of ten children, but that he had complied with the unknown mother's request by bringing up the little foundling secretly and by giving him instructions in reading writing and christianity this communication contained neither the writer's name nor address nor did the memorandum enclosed throw much light on the subject it ran thus the child is already baptized you must give him a surname yourself you must educate the child his father was one of the light horse. When he is seventeen years old, send him to Nuremberg to the sixth regiment of the light horse, for there his father was. He was born on the 30th April, 1812. I am a poor girl and cannot support him. His father is dead. This unsatisfactory communication and the utter inability of the youth to furnish any account of himself determined the captain to have nothing to do in the matter. So he immediately handed his charge over to the police. Taken to the guard room, a close examination was made of the strange arrival. 
His attire consisted of a coarse shirt, pantaloons, and a peasant's jacket, in which was a white handkerchief marked K. H. Kaspar Hauser. He was of medium height, broad-shouldered and well-built, his skin was white and fine, his limbs delicately moulded, and his hands small and beautifully formed. The soles of his feet were as soft as the palms of his hands, and were covered with blisters, which seemed to account for his difficulty in walking. But subsequent investigation offered further elucidation upon this point. It showed that his feet had never before been compressed by shoes, and that owing to the confined position in which the unfortunate boy had been retained, the joint at the knees, instead of being a protuberance when the leg was straightened, formed a hole or depression. Whilst under examination he manifested neither dread nor astonishment, but continued to cry and point to his feet. His behaviour excited the compassion of the officials, and one of them offered him some meat and beer, but he rejected them with disgust, partaking, however, of bread and water with apparent relish. The usual interrogations were put to him, as to his name, whence he came, and his travelling pass, but all in vain. Beyond his frequently repeated expression, I want to be a trooper as my father was, little could be got out of him. Some of the spectators began to fancy the lad was playing a part, and their suspicions were increased, when, upon writing materials being offered to him, he took a pen, and slowly and clearly wrote Kaspar Hauser. Unable to make out whether he was an idiot or an impostor, he was removed to a tower near the guardhouse, where rogues and vagabonds were confined. Given a straw bed, he lay down and slept soundly. Although at first utterly unable to furnish any account of himself, Kaspar, under the kind and judicious treatment of his keepers, gradually learned to speak and gather some idea of the world and its ways. As soon as ever he was really enabled to communicate with those around him, the Bürgermeister, Herr Binder, went to visit him and take down his deposition. From what the poor lad then or subsequently stated, the following extraordinary particulars were recorded, and are, or were, some few years ago, still preserved in the Nuremberg Police Court. Kaspar's account was to the effect that he did not know who he was, or whence he came, that as far back as he could recollect he had always lived in a hole or cage, and always sat upon the ground, with his back supported in an erect position, a statement which the condition of his knees fully corroborated. He had been kept in a state of semi-darkness in this subterranean place, clad only in shirt and trousers, and fed only upon bread and water. At times he had been overpowered with heavy sleep, and on awakening from this state would find his nails trimmed, his clothes changed, and his dungeon cleaned out. Every day a man, whose face he had never seen, would come and bring him a loaf of bread and a pitcher of water. Some time before Caspar's removal into the outer world, the man was accustomed to come every day with a small table or board, which he put over the lad's feet, and, putting a sheet of paper upon it, guided his hand, in which he had placed a pencil, so that he gradually learned to write. 
by constant imitation of the marks or lines the man guided him into making caspar hauser had learned to make the letters composing his own name or rather the name he went by this writing appears to have greatly delighted the poor captive and beyond two wooden horses would seem to be all that he had to amuse himself with at last the man came one night lifted caspar on to his shoulders and taking him out of the dungeon carried him towards nuremberg he made the lad try to walk but the unusual exercise caused him such pain he fainted and when he recovered his senses he found himself alone by the city gates where he was discovered everything appeared to corroborate this most extraordinary circumstance it was some time before he could walk without stumbling he appeared to have no control over his limbs the attempt to compress his feet into boots caused him great torture whilst walking drew sighs and groans from him his eyes unaccustomed to the light became inflamed he had no idea of the relative distances of things and when he first saw the flame of a candle was so delighted that he put his finger into it when pretended thrusts were made at him he exhibited no alarm and did not recoil and altogether showed such intense ignorance of the operations of the senses that those about him were convinced that he was no impostor as strangers imagined him to be the meanwhile whilst the lad was gradually becoming reconciled to the wonders of the world around him the strange story of his discovery was spreading rapidly all over europe the scientific and the curious flocked to nuremberg in order to behold this human phenomenon and presented him with toys and gifts but he complained that his visitors teased him and that he had headaches which he never had when he was in his cell at this time the close scrutiny which his story underwent began to excite curious suspicions as to the facts of his parentage it was argued that the mother desirous of getting her child adopted was not likely to have placed it at the door of a poor labourer already burdened with ten children of his own and with the hope that he could support it for seventeen years nor was it within the bounds of probability that a man so situated could have kept the boy all the period without putting him to work moreover what reason could the labourer have had for keeping the boy concealed all that time the mother might have wished concealment but certainly not the adopting labourer it was felt there was some deep mystery behind all this secrecy and everything about it pointed to a noble origin for caspar these ideas and the rumours they generated had tragic consequences for the poor lad on the seventeenth october feeling unwell he was excused from a mathematical class he attended and was allowed to stay at home a little after noon whilst a woman in the house was sweeping she noticed blood spots and bloody footmarks and followed them to the cellar there found caspar apparently dead and with a dreadful wound across his forehead medical assistance was procured and the lad removed to his bed after a time he recovered from his insensibility but for a long while was in a state of delirium during which he frequently murmured man come don't kill me i love all men do no one anything man i love you too don't kill 
Why man kill? The poor innocent lad was carefully tended, and as soon as he had regained sufficient strength to be interrogated, a judicial inquiry was made into the affair. According to the victim's account, the man had entered the house, and as he was softly treading along a passage, Caspar noticed that he was masked, but before he could make any further observation, he was felled to the ground by the wound in his forehead, and became insensible. He could not explain how he got into the cellar, but fancied he must have crawled there in a half-insensible condition. Nothing resulted from the judicial inquiry beyond the fact that the extraordinary case excited more comment than ever. Among others who became interested in the strange matter was Earl Stanhope, then in Germany. This English nobleman was so pleased with the lad's amiable ways and his misfortunes that he placed him in the care of an able tutor. After a time, Caspar received the appointment of clerk to the registrar's court of appeal, and performed his duties so well that Lord Stanhope spoke of adopting him and taking him to England. This probably induced his powerful foes to put him out of the way at once. On the evening of the 14th of December, 1833, as Caspar was returning home from his official duties, a stranger accosted him, and by a promise of revealing his parentage inveigled him into the palace gardens, where he plunged a dagger into his side, and then instantly disappeared. Caspar just managed to get home and murmur a few words when he became insensible, and before the police arrived, he expired. The police appear to have made great efforts to discover the assassin, but without success. The King of Bavaria caused an inquiry into Caspar Hauser's case to be made, and the well-known jurist, Feuerbach, to whom the inquiry was deputed, reported significantly, There are circles of human society into which the arm of justice dares not penetrate. Who then was Caspar Hauser? and why include him among pretenders to royal lineage? It was surmised, and still is believed by many, that he was the elder son of the Grand Duke Karl of Baden and his much-admired consort, the Grand Duchess Stephanie Tascher, Napoleon's adopted daughter. Their son, born in September 1812, was alleged to have died when a few weeks old, but the popular idea in Baden was, and indeed still is, that this boy was carried off and the dead child substituted in his stead, at the instigation of the Grand Duke Karl's uncle and successor, Ludwig, a man to whom the most disgraceful crimes and cruel outrages are imputed. End of The False Hereditary Prince of Baden